good morning. It is good to be with you and to be able to come and share God's Word with you. If you would, take a copy of Scripture, um, whether you have it on a device or a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the, the Bible in front of you in the pew and open to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're taking a, a short break from our study in Mark to look at what is often called God's lost and found chapter. Luke 15. And in Luke 15, Jesus shares three illustrations about lost things. We have an illustration about a lost sheep that we'll look at today. There's an illustration of a lost coin. And there's an illustration of a lost son. And in all three of these stories, there's a a, a resonating theme. And that is the value of one and the joy that God has for the salvation and the redemption of each and every one. And so I hope that as we look at this over the, last, over the next few weeks, that we will uh, share in our desire, as God does, to see individuals come to faith in Jesus Christ. Luke 15, again. Now, we often don't think about one. We think in groups, right? We, we typically think in groups. We, we often count hours rather than minutes or seconds. Um, we think of years instead of individual days. Um, we, we <laughs> okay, if you're like me and they give you a couple of cents back at the gas station, what do you do with it? I, I put it in the little... Have a, have a penny, get a penny, or if they have a little donation thing there, I usually put it there because I normally don't pay with dollars anyways. It's usually cards. So if I do have dollars, then if I have change, I just stick it in my wallet, and then my wallet bulges out. So I don't even, I don't even really think about the change very often, right? We, we're concerned about the dollars, but not necessarily the pennies, We're often impressed and strive for groups, but I want us to think about over the next few weeks the power of one. The power of one. If I were to offer you right now one million dollars or one penny every day that would double, that value would double every day, how many would take the million right now? Okay, you all know this trick. Somebody at least say, yeah, I want a million dollars. Okay, right? But that penny, that, that single penny doubled every day over the period of 31 days would end up being $10 million. The power of one and compounded interest. <laughs> But it's the power of one. We, we often look at the group. We often think about the group. And the Bible says a lot about groups. Jesus had 12 apostles. At the end of the, the, the book of Romans, at the end of that letter, uh, Paul addresses a large group of believers in the church. Hundreds followed to hear Jesus teach. And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were baptized. That's amazing. 
But what I want you to hear today and over the next few weeks is that large groups only matter because of individuals that are in them. Every large group that we read about in the Bible, every large group of a church that's gathered like we are here today, it is made up of individual ones. And God cares about the group. But the Bible says that he also rejoices and loves and cares about one. The power of one. The importance of one. The joy that God has, that Christ has, and that we should have over one lost person coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Look with me, Luke 15. I'll, I'll begin reading in, in verse 1, but we're going to focus today on verses uh, 3 through 7. Chapter 15, verse 1 starts with a, a text that's very similar to one that we looked at in Mark just a few weeks ago. The fact that Jesus received sinners and tax collectors and he ate with them and the religious leaders just didn't know what to do with this and they accused him of being an immoral, unrighteous, unholy person. That's the background that we see here. Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him, that is Jesus. And not only were they drawing near to him, but we read in Mark that Jesus would eat with them, he would recline with them, he would talk with them, he would, he would, he would be with them. He wouldn't share and partake in their sin, but he loved them as individuals and received them. And that alone was just unheard of by the good religious people of the day. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. In light of this accusation, in light of knowing what's in their heart, in light of seeing the religious people's rejection of people who were not like them, in seeing their hard-heartedness and their hatred for people that were far from God that needed redeemed, Jesus offers three lost and found stories. The first is the one that we'll see here today, the parable of the lost sheep. Follow with me, verse 3. So he told him this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are a God of forgiveness, a God of redemption, because we need it. Lord, today as we look to your word, I pray that you would help us to see the importance of one. You would help our hearts to break and our lives to be motivated to reach individuals with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I pray that even today amongst us that you would work. Perhaps today in our midst is a lost sheep that you are calling home. May we all be marveled at the salvation that you offer in Jesus. And may we all be motivated to share that good news with others. Be with us now as we look to your text. Help us to focus. May your spirit rest mightily and move among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in light of the grumbling of the Pharisees and the scribes, the the religious teachers of the day, Jesus gives this parable. And and I love Jesus' parables, right? We all love a good story. And Jesus' are are loaded with all kinds of meaning. And as we look at them, the the depth that is there. And and so that's what I want us to do today. So the, 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 the overall gist of this parable is that one day there's a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep and he sees that one is missing. And so instead of writing off the one, he realizes it has value. It has value. Yes, you want 99, but you really want 100, okay? If if, if one of you, I I mean, I I really, we we don't live in a farming culture, so it's hard to it's hard to appropriate this, right? I guess, you know, if, if one of you uh, wrote a check for uh, $1,000 and, and you didn't know where it went or who cashed it, you'd go look for it, right? Like, even though you might have a lot more in the bank, some of you like that tapped me out, but, that, <laughs> but you'd go look for it. It was of value to you, even though it was a small percentage, a, a, a one you know, one hundredth of what was going on, you would still go and look for it because you saw in that there was value. The illustration here is that God sees value and worth in every person He has created. And He should, because we're told in Genesis that we are made in the image and likeness of God. God has created us special and unique from all the rest of creation. We bear his image and we bear his likeness. Humanity is special and it's created special and special to God. And God loves us. He loves humanity. And so seeing that one has left the fold and is in obvious danger, the shepherd leaves the 99 goes to find the one, joyfully rescues it, and brings it back. This is a wonderful passage and account of Jesus' love for us. And I hope that it would be a motivation for us today to realize the value of one, the value of each lost person that we come in contact with every day, the value of each person, the potential of each person to be redeemed by God and to live a life that would glorify Him. So there's three overarching things that I want us to look at today as we look at this and we think about this parable of the lost sheep. The first that we see is the shepherd's compassion. The shepherd's compassion. Look with me at the first verse here. It says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the one sheep until he finds it? 
Now, it's interesting. He says that the sheep is lost. This word here for lost is a, is a word that doesn't just mean misplaced, right? I lose a lot of things. I lose my keys near daily. It's a joke around my house because I'm always, stop shaking your head, Kyla. I'm always looking for my keys. Um, and so, but, but I know my keys aren't in danger, right? I set them somewhere. Like, I'm always thinking I drove home. I know I set them somewhere. I'm not worried when I use the word lost that, that, that my keys are in danger. I'm more worried that I'm in danger because if I don't find them, I'm going to be in trouble. But here, the sheep is lost. This is the same word, actually, that's used in, in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed on him would not perish. That word for perish is the same word here for lost. And so the, 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 the peril of the sheep that, the, that, that motivates the shepherd is not that the shepherd is going to lose money. You see that? Nowhere in the, in the text is that the primary motivation, is that, man, if, if, if I don't get this sheep, I'm out a hundred bucks. But there is a, a lostness, a perishing, a suffering that the sheep will endure. And it is that that motivates the shepherd. Friends, we preach the Word of God here. I do believe that we seek to know it. I do believe that we, we, we hold the Word of God in value in this church. We, we proclaim and say that we believe that it is without error, that it is authoritative, that it's given from God, that it's truth, and we recognize the claims that it has, and we seek to be like Bereans and to, to, to expound the Word of God and to know the Word of God. But I'm telling you, if it doesn't motivate us, what good does it say it's true if it makes no difference in our life? There isn't a, a person in this church, honestly, that I, that I believe and know would say that hell is not a reality, that people that, that die without Jesus Christ acknowledging Him as their Lord and Savior and living for Him, that they suffer punishment in hell. We all believe that. Does believing that change us? Knowing that the sheep was lost and in danger motivated the shepherd. Knowing that we live amongst a fallen world, that, that our loved ones, our neighbors, our co-workers, the, the, the people that we meet in the street, the, the people that serve us in restaurants, knowing that, that every one of them is created in the image of God, that, that every one of them has a value, and knowing that God has, has called us to proclaim the good news to them. and That, that good news is the saving power of the gospel. By no other way is anyone going to heaven. And if we just walk around with our mouths shut, being afraid of what some might say about us, I have to say, do we really believe the Bible? Do we really believe that it's true? It's one thing it's to say that it's true. It's another thing to see in our actions that we believe it. Oh, the danger that awaits those who do not know Christ. And Jesus sees this 
Jesus, obviously, is the shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd throughout the Bible. He comes and he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, this illustration that he gives of the shepherd, he is the fulfillment of this shepherd, the one who goes out to to rescue the one. He does so by the cross. He endures that which we could not imagine, that which he did not deserve. That the one sheep, you and I, whoever would come to faith to know him, that we would be able to receive salvation. The sheep is in danger. Notice also the compassion of the shepherd, not just for a group of sheep, but for one sheep. For one sheep, the power and the value of one. That's the the importance of what the story of Jesus is saying here. That for one, the shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes because one is in danger. One is in danger. For our salvation, Christ endured the cross. The, The shepherd in the illustration endures hardship. I don't know how much you know about the geography of the Middle East, but the place where the shepherds typically were, they were hard places. Um, we, we lived in California, or, well, Nevada, next to California for a while, and, and, and it's the only time I've ever seen, like, real shepherds and, and you know, groups of sheep. They would, they would run in the valleys there sometimes. And, and they had, like, these most beautiful spots because they would lease them out. Judea is not like that. There's a lot of ruggedness and ups and downs and mountains and, and danger. It'd be easy for the shepherd to say, you know what, I've got 99. I'm pretty comfortable here. I, I need to focus on the 99. That one dumb sheep, it keeps wandering off. Let him get what he deserves. That's not what the shepherd did. The shepherd left the 99, and he goes to the one, just one. He goes to the one. And friends, Christ died on the cross, and he didn't die for sins in general. I want you to understand this. We're, we're coming up on Easter. We're coming up on, on Good Friday. We're coming up on the, the day that Christ made atonement for us. And what we believe about the atonement is that Jesus didn't go to the cross just to be a moral figure, how to live right. We, we don't believe that, that Jesus went to the cross as an example of how to live and suffer for others. We believe that Jesus went to the cross and that as he was on the cross, he died for our sins, for my sin, for the actual sin that we committed that we were forgiven for. The Bible tells us the great exchange. My sins for his righteousness. Christ died for my sins, for your sins. If you've trusted in Jesus, that is the heart of what the gospel message is, is that you are a sinner, that you know that you have committed sins and that you know that you cannot earn your way to salvation. But you trust and believe in what Jesus did for you. That as he hung on that cross and he took the guilt and the punishment, it was not for his sins, it was for yours. The actual sins that you have committed will commit. Christ paid for those so that God could count you righteous in Him. 
that God could forgive you. Oh, what a wonderful shepherd we have that Jesus died for me, that Jesus died for you. Jesus on the cross thought of us. He left the 99 to die for the one. We see the compassion of the shepherd. The second thing that I want us to see is the shepherd's commitment. The shepherd's commitment. Again, this was a sacrificial commitment. The, the shepherd left the comfort of the 99. He, 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 he left that to go and to find where this wandering sheep had gone. He doesn't know where the sheep is. If he did, he wouldn't be lost. He goes and he searches and the illustration that Jesus gives from it, we can, we can say that it was quite a search. Because if he would have found it right away, would there have been a whole lot of rejoicing? Like, oh, there's Fluffy, right? No. Okay? Uh, I, I, when I lived in Tennessee, I, I decided, you know, I'm a pastor. One of the, one of the things that, um, that a pastor is called throughout the New Testament is a shepherd, that we are the under-shepherd. Christ is the, the head shepherd of the church. Pastors are, are men who are called to be under-shepherds, under Christ's authority, to lead and to shepherd the flock, which is illustrations that the Bible uses to talk about the church. And so I had this idea. We had farmland. I thought, I'm going to be a shepherd, right? I'm going to get some sheep. I'm going to find out what this is all about. Let's just say this. I'm a better pastor shepherd than a real shepherd. Uh, one of my sheep, we looked out one day, and I was like, honey, is his foot hanging off? <laughs> and it did. My sheep lost a foot. Um, <laughs> we're called sheep and shepherds. Christ is the shepherd. And he makes a, a commitment that he's going to search, and he's going to find the sheep. That it is of value, and not only is it of value, but it is in danger. And so the shepherd leaves the 99. Notice also, not only was it a sacrificial commitment that the shepherd would endure this journey, but it was also a successful commitment. The shepherd, when he left, he left determined that he would find the sheep. He did not stop until the sheep was found. Oh, Jesus on the cross cries out, it is finished. He has saved us completely and fully. We see the shepherd's commitment. Also, we see the shepherd's celebration. We see the shepherd's celebration. Notice, first of all, after he finds the sheep, initially... He, he celebrates personally. It says uh, back in verse 5, it said, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. So as he finds it just alone with himself, it's not a public show. It's not that he came back and then just hosted a celebration. He has a desire and loves and, and sees the need for this sheep. And so he's motivated. And when he sees it, he celebrates, I have found the sheep. Verses 6 and 7. 
He goes home and he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The first thing that we see here is we see the rescue of the Savior. The sheep has been rescued from the danger that he has found in. That's what the word saved means. It means to be saved from harm and danger. When we talk about people who are lost, who need to be saved, don't just allow that to be Christianese speak that has very little value. When we say that individuals who do not know Jesus are lost, individuals who, that need to be saved, what we're saying is, is without trusting in Jesus Christ, without repenting of their sins and coming to Him, There is eternal punishment. Friends, again, we we believe the Bible. We believe that it's true. If we really do, it should motivate us to look at a world around us and to see individuals who do not know Christ and to mourn, to be moved, that they need to know Jesus He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. To know that it's it's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. There's no second chance. Oh, this story of the shepherd and rescuing the lost. I pray that it would help to motivate you as it does me every time that I read it. There is a rescue for every lost person. Every one of you that are here that know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know that because God has called you into salvation, but not just God's work, but a a, a man, an individual, maybe a Sunday school teacher, a, a parent, a stranger, a pastor. Somebody has seen that you were lost and somebody has taken the risk to tell you about the gospel and they have done so passionately. Perhaps they prayed for you for a long time. Perhaps many people prayed for you you and you didn't even know it. You won't know it until the day you go into heaven. But we're here under Christ only because the gospel came to us. And we're told to take it to others. Here's here's a quote. I don't know who said it. Um, It's not mine, but it's good. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. We weren't ever intended to be the ending place for the gospel to come and to stop. We're called to be disciples that then teach and make disciples. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. If you look throughout the New Testament, the, 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 the one over and over again that's truly saved, what is the mark that they're truly saved? It's that they produce fruit. Not just personal fruit, but real fruit, abiding fruit. That you can see a reproduction of faith because they're willing to share the gospel. They're willing to count the lost. They're willing to see the need of the lost. 
to leave the 99 and to go. It's interesting. Look at what the shepherd does when he finds the sheep. We see his, his celebration. We see his personal celebration first. And, and then notice what he does. He grabs the sheep and he puts it on his shoulders and he brings it home. He finds the sheep. We don't know how he finds the sheep. It, it could be that the sheep is near death. The idea that he has to uh, carry the sheep means that the, the sheep couldn't make it back on his own. The shepherd finds the sheep and then, and then notices, okay, again, it, it was a long journey to get there. It was probably hard. And he gets there, and now he's got to go back with a 60, 80-pound sheep on his back. Okay? I don't know if... It, 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 some of you are older, so you probably didn't have these torture devices when you, were, uh, when you had small children, but we had a backpack carrier for our kids. Right? You ever seen that, right? The, the kid's strapped up back there, and, and he's just riding fine, you know? Um, we had one of these, and I remember it was when we lived in Nevada, and we, uh, we went to Yosemite. <laughs> and we had six little biddies. <laughs> we had, oh, okay, we had five at that time. Four. Four. <laughs> I think in groups, not ones. So... So it must have been Grant then. Grant was riding in this sucker because we had a stroller. And I remember going up this, like we went, we went on this hike and we, we look at the guide and it says, it says, you know, slight to moderate. And we're like, we can do that one. And we go down and it's fine. And then we got to come back. <laughs> and of course, at that time, Grant, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Grant. He's like, oh, I can't do it. And so... Uh, here I am toting him back. It was hard. Notice how much the shepherd loves the sheep. He goes and he rescues it. He rejoices over it. He puts it on his shoulder and he brings it back. What a beautiful picture of salvation. Ephesians tells us it's for by grace that you've been saved, not through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no man can boast. Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Friends, if you come to Christ, it's not a set of rules of what you must keep and must not keep, or you're threatened with losing his love or his salvation. The shepherd places you on his shoulders, and he takes you home. What a beautiful picture that we have. And then, of course, at the end, we have the rejoicing. The shepherd comes back. First, he rejoices personally. Then he comes back, and he rejoices with others. He was overjoyed with the rescue of just this one lost sheep. Jesus makes it clear that heaven gets excited about the salvation of one person, of one lost soul. I served in a church once, and I don't know that this is the best practice, but it did get the point across. And that we had a, a children's minister, and, and, and um, when individuals would come to salvation, they would have a, a, a Coke and cookies party. <laughs> they, would, they, would, they would have Coke and eat cookies and, and have a little party to celebrate that somebody came to faith. And I remember one time, because I remember them saying, because it was, it was a head scratcher, he's like, in heaven, the angels are having a Coke and cookie parties with us. 
I, I don't know if it's the best practice, but it is a good illustration. Heaven rejoices with every individual. No matter where they are in life, no matter what they've done in life, no matter what your mistakes have been, no matter what you've done, if you're willing to come to Christ, if you're willing to repent of your sin, acknowledge Him as your Savior, all of heaven rejoices. God rejoices with each and every one. There is no second-class Christian. Everyone is valuable. Everyone is loved. And everyone is rejoiced over. What an amazing thing. If you know Jesus, there was a day that there was a Coke and cookies party in heaven for you. Every person matters to God. Every person was made to glorify God. Every person needs forgiveness of their sins. The Bible's very clear on this. It's clear that God cares. It's clear that Jesus died for salvation to be available. It's clear that Jesus' disciples have the task to share the gospel. It's clear that somebody cared about you and shared the gospel that you've come to faith. What's not clear, what's in question today, is do we have the same desire to rejoice over the one as heaven did? Do you see the danger of those who have wandered from the shepherd? I want to ask you a question today. It's a question that many of our, our, our sister Southern Baptist churches are, are emphasizing right now. It's a question of who's your one. Who is one person? It's, it's easy to get overwhelmed and to look at the world and to look at all your neighbors and to, to look at all your coworkers. Maybe you have lots of lost people in your family and it's, it's, it's you know, break out the paper bag. <laughs> How am I going to reach them all? Well, stop looking at the group and focus on the one. Is there one person? Who is one person that you can begin to pray for? Who is one person that you can begin to to start a gospel conversation with? Who is one person that you can begin to serve? Who is one person that you can simply just invite to church? Easter's coming up. This is one of the easiest times of the year to invite somebody to church that normally doesn't go. Who is your one If you look in your bulletin today, you have a a, a question that asks you that. And on the back of it, it says, who's your one? And it says name. And my prayer for you today, my prayer this week and, and over the last month as I've been praying about doing this, is that the Spirit of God would place on each of us one person. One person who's in our life who we know needs the Lord. One person that we would look at like the shepherd and see this is someone who is lost and who is headed for danger. And that we would begin to commit ourselves to pray for them, to serve them, to share the gospel with them. I want to ask you that you would pray over that and that you would do that There's a a number of passages listed here for 30 days. 30 days of praying for an individual. Just simple passages about salvation and truth. And just that each day you would read that and you would pray that verse over that person. I don't know that they'll get saved or not. I, I wish I could tell you that there was a magic formula that said if you prayed for 30 days and put somebody's name in there, then boom, they'll be saved. 
That's the power of God at work. I can't control that. But I can tell you this. There is an amazing correlation that happens between praying for someone to be saved and someone being saved. Because what happens is through doing so, God shapes us with the passion and the need and the power that the shepherd has to go and to see the one. Who's our one? Who's the one person that you know? You might say, well, I have five. Well, that's great. You're an overachiever. (laughs) But could you imagine if just right here in this group, everyone took this challenge and we begin to see people come to the Lord? People who we thought they need the Lord, but we're really not doing much about it. Oh, I pray that God would place on your heart the desire of His heart that every one that matters. As we close today, I, I want us to, to think about this. If I, First of all, as we look at this text, I want you to know if you are here today and you say, I don't know that I'm a believer. I don't know that I'm a Christian. I'm, I, I think I might be the one that's lost that Jesus needs to come and find. Friends, I want to tell you, there is salvation possible. The Bible says that no matter uh, who you are, the color of your skin, where you were born, even what sins you've committed, if you're willing to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus as your Savior, you will be saved. Oh, the Bible's full of people from rough backgrounds from crazy things. We were reading this morning in our Bible study about Rahab the prostitute who becomes a model of faith for us today. I want you to know, don't let your sin separate you from the Savior. Don't fight back from the one who's reaching out for you. You can be rescued today. For many of us who are saved, doesn't this inspire you to think that, that where I was, that, that Christ came for me, that, that others loved me and they prayed for me and they reached out for me and that God saved me? What a wonderful thing it is. We were all the one. And the shepherd left the 99. And friends, let us realize the power of one the power of each and every person who comes to faith in Jesus, the potential for their lives to be changed and to be used by God. So who's your one? As we pray today and as we leave here today, I I pray that perhaps some of you already know. You've already filled it in. You're like, yep, right here. Perhaps some of you need to pray and say, Lord, where would you lead me? Would you do so? Would you do that? Would you be willing to pray for their salvation? Willing to share the good news, to love and to serve? Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you for your word. and We thank you for this time that we can be confronted with it. Lord, I admit I'm often like the Pharisees and not like the shepherd. I know the the reality of 
those who do not know Christ, and yet I'm often unwilling to, to step out and make the effort to serve others and to reach others. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I begin to pray for my one. And Father, I pray that, 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 that a time like this, a message like this, that it would it'd shape us as a church. Oh, the, the wonderful things that you would do through us if we were obedient to follow you. Just to begin to pray for one person. Lord, I pray that you would spark a revival amongst us as we begin to be concerned about the lost. And Father, we can't do this on our own. We're asking you to guide us and direct us. We want to be your instruments, your ambassadors, the, the messengers of the good news. Would you empower us to do that, that we might reach others? Because they're in danger. Lord, thank you for saving us. I, I pray this morning that any in this room that needs salvation, they would be willing to trust in you today. They would be willing to follow you. They would be willing today to come and repent of their sins and, and, and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, would you, through your Spirit, give them the courage to do so. And we'll rejoice like they rejoice in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to have a song of reflection and commitment. I want to ask you, perhaps you have something that you need to be prayed over. You would like to come up and just pray. Perhaps you just want to sit where you are and, and pray. The Lord has, has burdened you this morning with someone that you feel like you need to pray over now. Perhaps there's a decision for Christ that you need to make, a, a decision to follow the church, a decision to come and be saved. Lord, whatever it is that the Lord has placed it on your heart, would you be a doer and not just a hearer today? Don't do it before man, but today, draw the line in the sand and say, I'm going to follow the Lord in whatever it is that He's called us to do.